0: More of the Josh Scanlon podcast? Please. Please. Here you go. The Josh Scanlon podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Josh Scanlon podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtubecom backslash Heritage Wealth Planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. Welcome, my friends, to another edition of the Heritage Wealth Planning YouTube channel. In this episode, I'm going to take on a, a blog post I just read about, or I just read uh, just a few minutes ago, as a matter of fact, that I want to take on because I, I challenge it to some degree and some degree I agree with it. And I want to kind of go over that. And it's about passive i.e. indexing versus active investing. Now, to the bulk of investors or the bulk of Americans, this isn't gonna mean anything, and I get that, and that's fine. Uh, to you who are trying to build your own portfolio, or trying to do financial planning on your own, or if you're actually interested in the ramifications of a certain investment choice, this should be of a, a very significant importance to you. Um, if you're willing and able to read Uh, information is out there by a various bunch of uh, bloggers of uh, just financial reporters whatnot there's a lot of great information out there Uh, sometimes though that information gets stretched a little bit too thin and I want to kind of bring that to your attention here today on this blog post now with that said some people just don't care they're like hey as long as I'm making money I'm fine and we can sit here all day long and say active versus passive. And they're just saying, I don't care. Just don't get me killed. And if you got to make some money as you, as a professional investment manager, that's fine. And look, I got no qualm of that whatsoever. My only qualm about actually the investment industry as a whole, well, two big qualms. First is not disclosing the fees. I, I absolutely drives me up the wall because it's more than just investment management fees that you see that you pay Mr. and Mrs. Client. You pay for more than that. Now if it doesn't, you know, if if you're if the ignorance is bliss to you, then, hey, you're probably not watching the video anyway. But the facts are you're paying more than just invest, investment management fee. There are trading costs that go with your funds. Uh there are internal expense ratios of it, mutual fund managers, ETFs and whatnot as well. Just never mind the taxes on this. And uh, now I'm going to dive in this a little bit more deeper, but those trading costs, those funds, fees, those, uh, all the tax, all that someone's paying it. I'm guaranteeing it's not the fund manager, it's you. And that can have a huge detrimental effect on your performance. Unfortunately, a lot of times those won't be seen in your net performance because the fees are not, no one knows, quite knows what they are. A lot of those fees are hidden. You just can't, you can't quantify them. Even if you look in deep as you can on the SEC webpage, the only way you can quantify is say, I start with a hundred thousand bucks after fees and taxes i get one hundred fifty thousand bucks you start with 100 bucks after fees and taxes you have two hundred thousand bucks who's the winner there that's it then how are you going to do that it's not an easy task which i frankly think uh some in this business uh don't mind it being a little bit convoluted all right the second one so i talked about the fees the second one's you're just not the disclosing of taxes and things like that nature as well, I guess that kind of goes hand in hand. I just wish these guys would be a little bit more clear when we're talking about net of all in fees and net of taxes. And, and I just, I don't see that much. I'm not saying with this guy here necessarily. Um, there was a guy by the way named Bob Varis, who's a, uh, literally a great, literally a gray beard of this industry. He's got a great beard, been around this industry for a long, long time. Very well known prominent writer, of the financial planning business as an industry, and uh, and he had just written or provided a data set of uh, I think last you know probably towards the middle of last year about the average fee that uh, financial planners and brokers and stuff like that charges on various uh, portfolio size, and we're, we're it's not it's not cheap, my friends. It's one point eight five uh, for portfolios up to two fifty, a little bit less for portfolios above that, but still we're talking the all in fee trading cost. And uh, management fees and mutual fund fees, expense ratios and whatnot, well over 1%, well over 1% for a, almost any asset size. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. And that did not include taxes either. Um, and that's just, that's pretty substantial. I mean, so for a million bucks, it's 10,000 bucks a year. That's just a fact. Now, I'm not going to make a judgment. That's up to you to decide if it's worth it. But we are going to talk about when we see some articles like we see today that I want to give you some you know, thought process to maybe think a little bit differently about what you're reading again I'm not saying I'm not trying to, I'm certainly not saying he's you know making fake news or anything like that I just think there's some things he misses here and I want to talk about it um, the first thing that jumped out at me was 100% I could not agree with this more active fund managers are often nothing more nothing more than high priced closet indexers now there's a lot to that statement this guy named Bill Miller who ran the Leg Mason Valley Trust for many many years um, it just, he's a wonderful fund manager. He got hammered in 2007 and 8. I think he had a big bet on Countrywide. I can't remember, but I just remember he got killed. And when he was, you know, the golden child for 15 straight years, those 18 months from 2007 to 2008, no one want to touch him with a 10 foot pole. He was like, he had leprosy. It was crazy. And the reason for that is because he's truly an active manager. He keeps a low, uh, doesn't have a lot of holdings, low concentration portfolio for sure. And it's, uh, you know, so if he makes good, he's making real good. And if he get, makes bad, he's making real bad. And there's no in between with this guy. And that's what you want with an active manager. Um, because what you're getting essentially for the vast majority of active management is you're getting essentially a portfolio that looks like the S P 500, but charges you 20 times the fees. And you're never going to beat the index like that. So I completely agree. And that's the, 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 the on this guy right here, Hightower. Uh, Twick Twickenham out of Huntsville, Alabama. That's the basis of his article, and I completely, completely agree with that. Um, I, I just as a for the record, I have a file. Uh, man, I got. I don't think I have it back there. But if you think about like a box, um, is you know like those plastic crates, those totes that you have. I just got paper after paper after paper of just to be read stuff in there. Just print it, throw it in. Print it, throw it in. And so this article came out in 2000, doesn't say here, does it? But it came out in 2017 and uh, let's see, published Yeah, May 19th, 2017. <laughs> I just got to reading it today. And so I'm about a year behind, actually. <laughs> uh, if you ever heard of Nassim Taleb, uh, 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 Nassim Nicholas Taleb, uh, he, has, he writes anti-fragile, the black swan, all these things. He's got new books, Skin in the Game, which I've got to read. Uh, he calls it the anti-library. For every piece of literature you read like this, and this uh, right here is a historic variation in Arctic ice, has nothing to do with financial planning, but I'm very interested in the uh, the science, so-called science behind the, uh, uh, the global warming slash climate change debate. But anyway, for every piece that you read, you're going to gather five more pieces on top of that, and your anti-library just grows and grows and grows. Uh, Nassim would say that's a sign of a, an intellectual. I've never been one to call myself an intellectual, but if that's true that I am one because my my to-be-read folder is uh, it's just it's like Jack and the Beanstalk, man. That thing is big. and It's growing all the time. All right. Uh, So I want to talk about, uh, okay, it's been very extremely difficult for many active managers to outperform passive counterparts in the same asset class. Uh, That's why Vanguard has seen unprecedented fund flows in the past few years more than all their competitors combined. Uh, That said, many investors suffer from biases when it comes to the active versus passive debate. One in particular is the status quo bias, uh, the bias that causes one to conclude that passive funds will always outperform active funds after seeing that the returns of the large cap passive benchmark S&P 500 have outperformed ninety percent of mutual funds over the last three to five years. Okay, um, I don't know anyone who ever said uh, index funds will all, or all passive funds will always outperform active funds. Uh, just say anything like that is silly. No one's gonna say anything will always happen. That's just that's dumb. Um, but I get what he's saying. He said that you know you can say my index fund will outperform yours over time. I you know I I agree with that frankly. But at the end of the day, no one's gonna say it will always outperform yours in any given time frame we're looking at because that no one anyone who makes that claim just run for the hills Now, on the converse anyone makes a claim on the other side too uh, active will always be indexes anytime they say that that term right there that word always that they, they run they don't know what they're talking about um, this guy wants us to check our premises because active versus passive is cyclical as seen in the chart below Money pours into passive, and the stocks and passive strategies get overpriced. The money then cycles it back in active. Uh, we are precisely at a time when quality active funds should outperform for a long time. I, I haven't looked. You know, this is over a year now. I mean, May 20, uh, 19th, two thousand seventeen. I haven't looked at the uh, if 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 he was right a year ago in his observation. Frank, I don't care. Um, but presumably, you could look to see if at least over the the last year since he had written this article, was he? Correct, um, but here's, so here's one of the drawbacks. Um, okay, as you check active versus passive is cyclical as seen in the chart below. So what he's doing, and so he's showing this chart. Here is percentage of funds outperforming the S, I got a fly flying around there, uh, outperforming S&P 500 on a five-year basis. Uh, so percentage of funds outperforming is in the green, and so nineteen eighty to eighty four basically they had a lot they had you know up to ninety percent nineteen seventy they had you know there um here we had you know fifty something percent in nineteen ninety four to nineteen ninety seven here from two thousand and four to two thousand and ten we had about forty percent or fifty percent um so given that we have what's at a fifty year time frame roughly even here uh, the vast here's a fifty percent line. Only on a few years did was the active funds outperforming the S and P, and I mean even half of them were. Uh, I mean you had a couple of years, but just not much. And but that even that doesn't matter because what matters is actually is the compounding nature of this. And this is one of the things that drives me crazy about this whole argument, passive versus uh, uh, active. All right, let's just say you outperforming two of uh, three or five years. Uh, but maybe only outperforming by ten basis points or one tenth of a percent, and I outperform you by ninety basis points in the two of the five years which I beat you. All right, so again, you beat me three out of five times. So in terms of a record, you're three wins and two and, and two losses. I'm two wins and three losses. But your record of outperforming was only that big, where my record of outperforming was sizably higher than yours. It doesn't, you don't even need to get this trusty old Texas instrument calculator to figure out who did better. So this, I just, uh, this kind of stuff drives me crazy because it's basically stating, um, the, the insinuation is, oh, You beat us so many times, and by nature, we're going to beat you so many times. But no one cares, or you shouldn't really care if we beat you three years out of five. You should care is at the end of five years who has the best returns. And that's all that matters, frankly. Now, that happens to coincide with index funds beating active funds year in, year out, over and over and over again. Yes, there are some divergences here, as we can see, a little bit right there, a little bit right there. And even here, though, in the supposed heyday of active management, uh, after the financial crisis of 2008, seven and eight, and then during the the great bear markets of 2001 and two, I mean we're only talking. I mean basically only broke 60 percent of active management even beat the index in that one year, 2010. So we're not even getting over 50 percent, which means one of every two active managers underperformed the index on a year over year basis. So it's, it's again it's just it's just a bad. If that's what he's using to state his claim that active quality quality active funds should outperform over a long time, again, I just I completely disagree with it. And again, what makes a quality active fund? That, that's an, a second thing. All right. So most people forget that the S and P 500, as a market cap weighted index, had nearly 50% tech stocks right before the Great Tech Crash in 2000, and 40% financials in 2008 before the financial crisis cap weighted indices include the S&P 500 naturally became overweighted uh, to expensive areas of the market as money flows into passive funds. Uh, I I mean, see, even that, I mean, even that causes something to be debated because what he's saying is, if you look, Vanguard has seen unprecedented fund flows in the past few years, more than all their competitors combined. Well, we're now in 2017 when this article was written and he's saying in 2000, Um, Basically, the idea was that the passive were getting all these funds going into the passive investments, were getting all the funds going into index funds, driving up the prices of uh, large-cap growth tech stocks and and particularly, and thus they, they crashed and burned when the markets declined. But back in the late 90s, people were not nearly as hip on indices or index investing as they are today. It just wasn't the case so a straw man there's no other way around it. he's saying the passive markets did bad in 2000 because they had such a boom in, in money going in uh to make the the more expensive funds or more expensive stocks even more expensive where the pe ratios were through the roof but his evidence of that is not does not prove that his evidence is that vanguard has seen unprecedented fund flows in the past few years those two things aren't necessarily, necessarily there's no correlation there at all and so i just again i don't like that article and i, I don't I, I find it I'm not gonna say disingenuous. I just it's weak, and I, I don't like weak articles because I think people can read this and, and and make a a statement like this guy is doing that that isn't should not be made. Frankly, um, all right. Typically, indexing does not look good when the market is volatile. Uh, consider the chart below: the three-year rolling returns of SP 500 index, the ETF versus the universe U.S. large cap funds. Well, I mean, just. Uh, as you can see, the index spent its fair share of time at the bottom quartiles over the past 20 years, and here it is. Yeah, a little bit. So we had a couple of bottom uh, quartiles. Did anyone ever say that index funds are going to be volatile? Uh, they don't carry cash. So the whole point of indexing is not to have any cash. Inherently, they'd be volatile for sure. And I agree. that When your market or cap weighted, the bigger the company, Apple or Amazon, was going to have a bigger Proportion of the overall constituents that you have, because mark weighted means the biggest stocks are going to represent the biggest proportion of your fund. I completely get that, um, but the index fund—it's stocks. There is no cash, none. It's 100% stocks. For it not to be volatile, would not be a stock fund. <laughs> I just, I, I just okay. So yeah, so maybe a little bit more volatile, but again, did we outperform from point A to point B? And I say we as an indexer myself. Um, and if we did, and someone bought the index fund for the understanding that you're gonna be 100% in stocks, that you're gonna have more volatility than the average large cap fund, which maybe even keeps 10, 15% cash. And I don't think that's a very good argument to make. Um, and so it does not look good when the market is volatile. And I always kind of chuckle this too. <laughs> all right, so let's say the S&P 500 is down 55% top to bottom from 2007 to 2009. All right, 55%, all right, so you had 100,000 bucks in there is only worth 45,000 bucks. At from March on March 9th, 2009, your $100,000 investment that you made in October 2007 was worth 45,000 bucks at the end of that time period. All right, so that's pretty aggressive, that's pretty volatile, that's pretty significant. The average large cap fund, down 39%, so now his $100,000 is worth $61,000 at the end of that time frame. Uh, I've been in this business a long time, my friends. No one sits there and say, oh man, I'm glad I'm not that guy. Because that guy is down 55% and I'm down 39%. That's where I want to be. No one says that. Um, at the end of the day, they're saying, why am I down at all? Why didn't you, as the active manager, avoid that? And that's the issue. Active management, the presumption is that they're going to avoid some of this market decline. And they certainly did not do that in 2007, seven, eight, and going to 2009. Absolutely did not do that in 2001 and two. Maybe they did it a little bit less than the S P 500 index because they have some cash. They have cash. The S and P 500 index does not have that headwind of cash. Thus, you take the lack of cash, you take his low fees, and that's where the outperformance is. It's literally that simple. Nothing more needs to be stated. But I want to hit over a little bit more here. Um, this actually kind of ticks me off. Um, I must point out that most mutual fund man—I'm not this. This right here does not tick me off. I could not agree more with what he's saying. I must point out that most mutual fund managers are passive investing vehicles. Over 70% of funds are either passive funds or closet indexers, managers who are active in name, but manage fund as closely to the benchmark as possible, likely to manage career risk. Man, I I absolutely 100% agree with that 100%. It takes guts to go against the grain why do you think the nfl they recycle head coaches all the time john fox give you an example why is that guy going from point a to point b to point c because other guys have put their reputation online and hire that guy it happens all the time in investments I don't want to be too far against the grain because if I am the outlier and I get hammered, people are going to think I'm an idiot. And I'll lose my job, never be found again. Same thing goes with football coaches. Same thing goes with the hockey coaches. Uh, look at Mike Leach, who used to run Texas Tech, and he ran this wonderful style of offense. I think he ran in some personal troubles, and it seemed like he might be kind of an odd dude. But anyway, he went to Washington State, and he hasn't done anything. Of course, that makes everybody think, why would you ever hire Mike Leach? He didn't do anything, but he did do stuff at Texas Tech. He did. He just had a little bit of a bad run at Washington State. Um, but again, because he was the outlier, no one wants to follow him and put their prestige on the line for having hired Mike Leach. They don't want to do that. So no one wants to put their prestige on the line for being an outlier in investment management either, especially when there's so much money these guys are making. I 100% agree with that guy, what he's saying there. So it makes sense the benchmark outperforms most of these funds in fee fees. One numbers agree. Essentially, these funds are buying the index and charging higher fees than the passive counterparts. Um, next time you see a statistic claiming that X percentage of funds don't beat the index, realize that most of these funds are actually just the index with a higher fee. I, right on. Now, what does a truly active fund look like? Given patience and understanding that same year, that some years active will underperform, an investor can experience substantial outperformance in the long run. So. Let me tell you what a true active fund is, my friends. There's something called active share. Now, there's some debate whether or not active share uh, can predict outperformance or not. I'm not going to get in that debate. But if you want an active fund, it behooves you to have an actual active fund. The S&P 500 is 500 stocks. If you have 400 stocks in the S&P, if you're a portfolio manager and you have 400 stocks, your active share is 20% that means you have 20% fewer stocks in the S&P 500. To make it simply. that's it. So you have 500 stocks in the S&P 500, you have 400 stocks, that means you have 20% of the portfolio that the S&P has you do not own. All right, that's your active share. If you have 50 stocks and the S&P 500 has 500, you have an active share of 90%. The higher the active share, the more correlated. Not correlated, concentrated your position is. The fewer stocks you have, the more concentrated, which means the higher active share you have, which means if you get a home run, it's a whole lot easier to hit a home run with 50 stocks than with 500 stocks, if that makes sense. Now, that also means you could get hammered too, as you know, we can see by Bill Miller. But that's what you want. You, if you're going for active money management, not a question why, but if you were, you want a low holdings, low number of holdings, a high active share, and you simply say, how much holdings does this have? 50, the S&P 500 has 500. That means I'm only representing 10% of the number of securities in the S&P 500, which means my active share is 90%. It's uh, pretty amazing when you think about it. The vast majority of active funds have an active share about 20%, 15, and that's just like this guy saying closet index. But what drives me crazy about this guy's last point in his article, what a truly active fund look like over time, given patient understanding, blah, 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 investor can experience substantial outperformance in the long run. The blow chart is a sample of a large cap active manager versus the S&P 500 over 20 years. An investor would have outperformed the market by 759% or whatever it is. I hate this. I hate this with a passion. uh, Hindsight, I can pick right now. If I want to show you how good I am as a stock investor, let me look behind me and say this is the stocks I would have chosen. That doesn't mean anything. Yes, I could have outperformed the active fund or the S&P 500 by 739%. A, what is the sample of a large cap? What is that? What is that fund? B, is it net of fees? I don't know. C, how do I buy the flipping thing? I don't know what it is. You're not saying what it is. How do I buy it? I don't know. D, the biggest one. Could I have bought this fund beforehand with the understanding that that fund would have done this right now? No, and that is where active managers lose. You do not know which funds are going to outperform. The only way you know which funds could outperform is via active share. There's no one sitting here now, 25 years ago, who said, whatever this sample arch cap And I, Frank, I don't even know if this is legit. I don't know. Presumably it is because the guy's got to go through a compliance manager. But like, this is uh, one fund which we did not identify 25 years previous, all right? One fund, which was not identified 25 years previous, one fund, uh, which we don't even know what it is, we're not saying what it is here today, it would have outperformed. All right, so there's a thousand funds. I mean, I just, it's a uh, thousand funds and your your argument is that one of them would have crushed the S P 500 and that one fund I'm not identifying and that one fund I'm not talking about the fees it pays, this net of gross and that one fund I'm not talking about taxes either. I mean, it's absurd. So to find out what the fund was, I had to say, well, where is he using this? And he looked at Zephyr Style Advisors. I, I never heard of these guys. So I said, and I looked at the notes in here and I said, well, what fund is he talking about? Because I'd be interested in researching that fund. Why did it do so well? Because you can pull anything out of the air you want, say this fund did better than the s 500, but to validate your argument that active funds are out, are better or will be better over the future, as this guy says, Active funds should outperform in the long time or quality active funds based on this. It's just oh it's painful. So I go to Zephyr, I'm like all right, who these guys are. Let's take a look what they're showing here. Uh Zephyr Stoffer, uh style advisor. I mean it tells you me, it doesn't it doesn't tell me what that and i looked at the brochure, of everything, it doesn't tell me what that fund is. So, why not have a link to the specifics on that? If you're gonna use this as your argument, the active can outperform passive and should over the next few years for a long time because of these other charts, why would you put a link to it so we can buy it or at least research it? And that that stuff like that, my friends, drives you crazy about this business. It's just a bad, bad way to present your argument for sure. The argument should be at the end of the day, active share can outperform. And it might well act to perform, we don't know. But if you look historically, most active mutual funds are closet indexers, 100% agree. Most active mutual funds charge a too high of a fee to be closet indexers and you need to stay away from them. However, there are active share funds that we use to try to beat the s p five hundred we have some examples, but just to throw one out there like that just it's, it's just not good i don't like that at all all right so I, I just want to point that out because I, that kind of ticked me off I was looking at that from um uh, from again I printed off this article a year ago second uh, on top of that I looked at his previous post too and uh and so I was looking at all and I just you know the behavioral gap why need a financial advisor i 'm not trying to kill on this guy just here, here we go. This kind of goes hand in hand. Investment return is this up here. Investor return is here. So basically, the, the investor doesn't return nearly as much as the investment, and that's why you need a financial advisor. I, I hear this a lot. I actually kind of fell for it back in the old Dalbar days uh, when Dalbar was doing this study, which has simply since been de- debunked. Uh, but even Vanguard and Russell and some other guys have given us a research showing that financial advisors add anywhere from Two to three point seven five percent per year, uh, net of fees of outperformance compared to the average investor. I, you know, I think these two things not quite mutually exclusive, but given the previous uh, thing where he's saying active should outperform uh, passive going forward, and on top of that, you need a financial advisor because he will add or she will add an extra two percentage points to three and a half or so uh, to your portfolio to your overall net worth per year. And well, what is it? Is it because uh, it's certainly not a financial advisors picking funds. That's absolutely not what the research says. What the research says, actually, is from tax management, if nothing else, tax management, making sure you don't sell at the bottom and buy at the high and things of that nature is keeping focus has nothing to do with your ability to pick good fund managers. There's nothing to do with it whatsoever. So I kind of chuckle a little bit at that because he's using this um this back piece i just talked about just you know the one i just clicked from as a way to say active management can give you outperformance. and by the way financial advisors are critical for you because they can give you this right here this excess return uh based on your overall net worth Uh, but the research doesn't say because they pick better funds it just doesn't say that at all so anyway, hope this find you helpful. I, I just, you know, again, I'm not trying to back up bash on these guys. I don't even know what you guys are. I mean, they're out of Huntsville. I just happen to have an article that I read that I want to read about and, uh, and then share with you because I do find there's a lot of investment advice that uh, that could see better light of day, if you will. And this this is one piece right here. So comments, put them below. Don't forget. Thumbs up. Always help me. Subscribe. Questions, thoughts, concerns that you have, I'd love to hear them. And if you do subscribe as well, you should. doesn't cost anything, subscribe. Uh, Don't forget to click on the little bell down there for being notified of future content. All right, we'll see you later next time on the Heritage Wealth Planning YouTube channel. Thanks guys.